Hi, I'm Jody Millman, and this is Backstage with the Bardavan. Our podcast will draw back the curtain and bring you backstage at the Bardavan 1869 Opera House that is located in Poughkeepsie, New York. For more than 150 years, notables such as Mark Twain, Frank Sinatra, James Earl Jones, Mary Tyler Moore, Santana, Aretha Franklin, and John Legend have graced its stage. In these days of COVID-19, our podcasters reach out to residents of the Hudson Valley who have been instrumental in the development of our unique music scene. Joining us today is John Hall, musician, songwriter, and political activist. In addition to being one of the founding members of the rock band Orleans, his songs have been recorded by Janis Joplin, Jackson Brown, Little Feet, and Bonnie Raitt. His song Power has become the anthem for the No Nukes movement and helped spark musicians for safe energy with Jackson Brown, Bonnie Raitt, and Graham Nash. And John's interest in politics took him all the way to Congress, where he served as a U.S. representative for New York's 19th Congressional District and then came back to the Hudson Valley. Today, we'll talk music, politics, and about a world on fire. John, welcome to Backstage with the Bardavan. John, welcome to Backstage with the Bardavan. Hi, thanks for having me, Jody. So, John, um, you have a very illustrious career in music. I mean, it's been before Orleans, it's Orleans, it's post-Orleans. But one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today was the political power of music. And part of this was sparked by some new music that you sent me. And I was, well, why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Because I was thinking about power and right. how that propelled the No Nukes movement. And, right. I, and that was in 1979, and here we are right. 40 years later. So right. tell me a little bit about World on Fire. We're going to play a little bit of it coming okay. up. But I, I want to hear your take on it. Well, I grew up listening to uh, Woody Guthrie. Pete Seeger, uh, and then, you know, a little later on, you know, when Peter, Paul, and Mary were singing Dylan songs, uh, Blowing in the Wind, etc., I wound up finding Bob Dylan through them, and, and there were some very good topical songs being written then. And later, I would say, you know, Bob Marley was very politically, socially conscious in his lyrics, and, and, uh, and I've always felt like it was, part of my job was to talk about whatever was important to me. And uh, sometimes it's love and love found or love lost or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, other interesting things in life. But, but uh, you know, if I'm moved to write something about um, environmental, political, social causes uh, or events, I, I do. And that happened to be that uh, in January when we were writing this song, it was the headlines were about the fires in Australia. And my friend John Paul Daniel, who I co-wrote the song with, along with Ted Richards, who some people know from Opus 40, he's, uh, uh, he's the uh, stepson of the architect of the fight, put that whole amazing sculpture together. Uh, but Taz a wonderful lyricist, and I've written songs with him before. So he helped John Paul and me finish this song. And we were all thinking, well, John Paul, first of all, the idea was his, and he was thinking of it as a song about spiritual growth and communication. And and I said, we can't write a song with the title World on Fire and not talk about the fires, you know, the wildfires. And so he uh, went along with that idea. And then we wrote the first verse or part of it. We had the chorus and, and some verse ideas. I called Tad 
to ask for his help. He's a he's a good lyrical uh, rescuer. You get painted into a corner lyrically, and he can figure out how to get out or how to open a new door to let yourself out. And so um, the lyrics of the verses are largely his, but it really it starts out talking about uh, communication and the lack thereof. It's kind of like Tower of Babel. Uh, let's talk to each other if we still remember how. And I think that could be said about political parties today, about countries today, and also about individuals and relationships. And uh, so that's that's where the first verse starts out, and the second one has the lines uh, talk about hurling flame and smoke into the void, talk about a thousand million creatures' lives destroyed, talk about the air too thick with smoke and ash to breathe, talk about destruction, there's too much to grieve, world on fire. And it's just... Um, you know, we've been working at trying to get this song out and uh, finally did on a, a label out of California called Sunset Boulevard Records, uh, which has just put it up on Spotify and Pandora and Apple and Amazon, all the streaming services. And uh, I haven't started posting myself about it yet, but it's it's there if people want to hear it. And uh, working on a video for it, which will be out shortly, but uh, in the meanwhile... Uh, it's it's this song and this recording. Well, you know, it's interesting because it I was I saw it broken up into four parts. The first, as you said, was about a need for people to communicate. And to right. me that's more than about fires. I mean it's about what we're going through right now as a country. Right. And how people True. are polarized and they're not really talking to each other. They're not talking the same language. Right. And I mean that you've you have firsthand experience with that, having served in the U.S. House of Representatives. Right. What's your take and, on that and now? And in a couple of running for Congress, but also running for school board and running for uh, county legislature. I mean, at any level, um, you can have that kind of disparity where people are talking about different realities, and that's what you see now nationally. And then the second part's climate change. And when you were in Congress, you served on the um, the Committee for Energy Independence and also Global Warming. Right. Did that have any impact on your song? Well, of course it did. And I've been following the, you know, the uh, studies and the debate about climate change going back a long way. And uh, so, yeah, that it all comes out in my songs I just everything that I read or hear or, or think about you know so um, all of that had a bearing on it and and also the uh, there's a spiritual side to it uh, the chorus uses uh, uh, instead of God he uses the word Jah the, the Rastafarian because mm-hmm. the reggae song it seemed like Jah would be appropriate and um, di- different religions and different people have different concepts of a higher power of a um, a deity of a great spirit, as the Native Americans might have put it. Um, so, John, inspire love for your sister and brother. And if we truly love each other, we're going to try to stop, uh, if we can possibly do it at this late date, we're going to try to stop the worst case of climate change. I certainly want to because I really care about and love my granddaughter. And I don't know, I probably won't be around when she has kids, if she has kids, but I'd like her to be able to. Well, she's in and, California uh, now, right? Is she, are they being they affected in, by the, by the fires daughter, out there? Daughter and son-in-law and, and granddaughter live in Oakland, California. So they've 
had so much smoke there in the Bay Area that uh, they've been staying inside unless they have an N95 mask on. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's a very difficult situation. Right now, the wind seems to have come in from the ocean and cleared things out, but they're only at the beginning of fire season. Mm. So who knows what's going to happen from here. But But so far, they're doing all right. But it is the kind of thing where I just, you know, whatever tools I have at my disposal um, to try to change things, I uh, I will use. And one of them is writing songs and singing them. Now, let's hear a, a few uh, minutes of your song. Okay. okay? A whole uh, album, I guess I would call it, although I don't. It's called a project or something. No, it's just basically a collection of songs that will probably be pressed into a CD, uh, as well as being a download or uh, or a, a streaming album uh, called "Reclaiming My Time." Is the name of the of the collection, and uh, "World on Fire" is the first song to be released from it. Uh, and "Reclaiming My Time" is a phrase that's used on the floor of the House of Representatives, if I were speaking and I had two minutes allotted by the chair or five minutes, whatever it is, by the speaker, and somebody else stood and said, uh, may I comment on that? And I would say, uh, recognize my colleague for one minute or something. And then that person would talk. And when I wanted my time back, I would stand up and say, reclaiming my time, <laughs> I'd like to say that. And I thought it was an interesting idea because first of all, it has that connotation. And secondly, that I'm kind of reclaiming the years uh, that I spent in politics when I wasn't able to concentrate on music. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I spent that time in the House and the other positions I was elected to. But but this is stuff that had been sort of dammed up in my creative musical channel uh, while I was doing those things. So now it's I'm reclaiming that time as well. And you said that uh, you mentioned to me that you were going to be going to Nashville. Are you going down there to record? I'm going to uh, record and, and to uh, uh, shoot a video. We've been shooting videos here, you know, in isolation, under lockdown. All of us, two, two of the guys live in Nashville. I'm in the Hudson Valley. One is in Gloucester, Mass., and one's in Orlando, Florida. And we've been doing videos where each of us video ourselves or have someone videos, video us at home. And um, and they've turned out great. Uh, you can see them if you go to YouTube. On uh, just do a search on the YouTube uh, search box for Orleans Online, or you can go to John Hall Music, which also comes up with my channel on YouTube. Um, 
so we put out a couple of songs. Uh, the one that's coming out, um, well, this one that's coming out September, October 8th, I'm sorry, and uh, that's all done. We're just trying to set it up with a little promotion. But there's, uh, there's one called Beautiful World that's a reggae, an up-tempo, happy, mostly happy reggae song called Beautiful World. But it also has a couple of references to, uh, there's a video there to go with the song, of course. There's a couple of references to, also to, um, not just relationship issues, but to uh, political and climate, environmental issues. And it's very fleeting, but you'll see pictures and a couple of shots in the video that, that point to that. So it's, it's actually mostly taken from a live performance of the song. And um, I think it's a really good video. I, th I like all the stuff that we're putting out so far. In the absence of concerts, because all of our shows have been canceled or postponed till next year, uh, we're trying to stay in touch with our audience by doing uh, audio and video recordings. I noticed one of the things that you'd also been doing is posting uh, previous previous appearances. There was one you did, um, you did Dancing in the Moonlight. Yeah, right. With Orleans, and you'd posted that. There's a wealth of new information. Uh, Orleans has a Facebook page uh, uh, that if you go to facebook.com slash Orleans online, one word. Uh, there's, we just posted a thing saying from now on Thursdays will be new video Thursdays. And they're going to be posting a new video every Thursday from a wealth of stuff people have sent to us. Some Lance and I, Lance is the other original member of the band, Lance Hoppen and I, have some of this but other stuff is coming from people I mean, sending us things we didn't know existed yeah black and white videos from the jabberwocky in syracuse new york in 1973. <laughs> i mean it's just incredible. i was there john i was there yeah, some of it's pretty, <laughs> pretty good and it's just it's rare it's uh so these kinds of things along with the new videos are going up on thursdays and uh so if you're interested go to uh, Orleans online on Facebook and uh, you know and like it or follow it or something and you'll get all those things. What was the last gig that you had before the COVID shutdown? Well uh, it's funny I uh, the last gig I believe was February 28th in New Jersey uh, Morristown New Jersey I believe it was and then we, we actually were booked on a cruise the first week in April on a cruise ship. We've done several cruises already and this was supposed to be the next one uh, of course it was canceled not only did we cancel and the other musical acts canceled but most of the passengers canceled too the headlines at that point included cruise ships coming in filled with covid cases right so nobody wanted to get on a cruise ship and so that was a good cancellation but um but then we had a pretty busy year following that uh mm on the calendar and all those things got pushed back. What do you think is is going to be the fate of musical venues in the future? I mean, the Bardavon's going to have a hard time. I mean, they are having a hard time. Yeah. Uh, there's an organization that some friends of mine started called NEVA, the National Independent Venues Association. I've seen that. that yeah. yeah. They, they're imploring Congress to uh, pass part of their next bill that comes out to help uh, rescue the economy from the COVID damage. They're asking to have support for these venues included uh, clubs, small performing arts centers, mm -hmm. uh, theaters, and um, 
and there's also one that's NITO, N-I-T-O, which is the National Independent Talent Organization, and that's for uh, managers, booking agents, agents, and the acts. And you know, I, I actually, having written a lot of songs uh, and made most of my money in my life from songwriting royalties, I'm doing better than a lot of musicians are. Uh, not, yeah, I'm not a millionaire, but I, but I, you know, I have a roof over my head and food on the table, and I'm not worried about that yet, anyway. Mm. But uh, some of the guys I work with and guys I know in other bands, uh, we're really making most or all of their income from playing live, and that's gone. And uh, they probably got their twelve hundred dollars and maybe unemployment assistance for a while but that's stopped now and um, then you have to think about the roadies uh, the sound and light engineers the uh, ticket takers the ushers uh, the people who you know put together the advertising for a venue and the people who work for the publications or the websites that they would usually publish that ad on uh, the ripple effect is just as it is with any industry uh, any business you know you take out one one business and it, there's a ripple of other jobs that were supporting that or surrounding it so um, yeah it's it's serious stuff and I really hope that uh, that you know our president and Senate uh, mainly uh, get or a new president uh, get serious about supporting these things it, it, the music performance uh, uh, industry puts billions of dollars, or maybe it's tens or hundreds of billions of dollars, I don't know exactly, but into the economy of the country every year. And, uh, you know, there's this includes big, you know, bigger current acts than Orleans or than John Hall, uh, who are touring now uh, with currently, you know, big records on the charts. And all that stuff stopped, too. So the economy, I mean, any place where there's a, a sports stadium, a hockey right. stadium, a basketball uh, stadium, a, a football stadium. I mean, Bonnie Raitt and James Taylor were supposed to be touring uh, this summer in baseball stadiums. I would have loved to see that show. I haven't been able to see it yet because I've always been working when they were playing anywhere near here. But... Um, but you think about the people who are, the people parking cars. You know, I mean, there's so much, the hot dog vendors. And the, I mean, it's, it's really uh, restaurants in the area near the venue. Uh, there's, a, there's a big spinoff. And uh, so hopefully this will be restored soon. And, uh, you know, pulling for that. You know, it's interesting. There was a program that they were talking about. They're focusing on the theater industry. And they were mm -hmm. saying that for each production on Broadway, over 300 people are employed. You've, like you said, you know, you've got the lighting people, but you also have costumers and you have the orchestra and you've got, you know, as you say, the vendors. Right. I mean, it's just everything is paralyzed now. Right. And it's really, they're, they're really having a rough time. I don't see how artists who, uh, how they're making it. I really don't see what they're and and it's going to be like this. I think for the foreseeable future till we get a vaccine. Uh, unfortunately, you're probably right. Uh, you can only do so much wearing a mask, and uh, you know I had somebody tell me when I was I was supposed to play a show with Joan Almaser uh, 
in Nashville, we, she and I had a record a CD out called, have it's actually still out, called Little Black Dress. And it was recorded live at the Bearsville Theater in, in Woodstock. And um, anyway, so it's, it's still being played on over 100 stations around the country. And, and um, it was up to 143. It came out right before the, before the pandemic hit. We just started promoting, I think, the first week in March. And uh, if we had known, we might have held back on it. But a lot of people have heard it and love it. And, you know, it's gotten a lot of downloads and so on. But so we had a gig to perform in Nashville uh, July 10th which of course was a bad time for most states and Nashville, certainly Tennessee was experiencing a, a spike in cases. And somebody wrote to me and said, just make sure that, you know, when you wear the mask on stage and you're singing, tell the sound engineer to turn up the high frequencies <laughs> so that the consonants would come through better. Uh, so, you know, it's easy to joke about it, funny, but um, of course the gig never happened. Uh, Venues that have to space people that far apart or, well, actually, they shut everything down in Nashville before that happened. The Board of Health shut all the venues down. But even now, you know, if a, if a theater has to put in only 25% of their capacity, uh, the Bartabon certainly knows this, uh, that you promote a show and the money you make as profit probably comes the last from the last 20%. Right. You, you hope to get to a sellout because that way you actually make money on it. And... Uh, but if you're if you know in advance that you can only sell 25 percent of your tickets it's lunacy to try to book a concert right at least unless unless the performers do it uh for a percentage which many times they can't do uh, for us flying people from four different locations five people plus a sound mixer from four different lo locations it's you know there's the thousands of dollars expenses on our end before we can even think we'll break even so we can't take less than that uh as a guarantee for a show and it's just meant that like a lot of other bands we just we're just off the road well you know uh, you've been in the music industry long enough to see where you started out in vinyl you know music right. was in vinyl and then it went to cds and now it's streaming have you experienced a change or felt a change um due to the change in technology yeah definitely for the better or the worst, yeah. Good news and bad news. The music is instantly available to anybody on a whole bunch of uh, streaming platforms or downloads. Um, I still download records that I really like by people I want to support. Um, but certainly you can stream it uh, on your phone or whatever. And um, so that's good. I was telling somebody else this yesterday that, that still the one and dance with me have gotten to um, almost 8 million plays on terrestrial radio in the 40-some years since they came out, going on 50 years since they came out. And that's impressive. But since streaming started about 15 years ago, when it started to become really the big thing, um, we're accumulating, last I knew it was... I think this morning I checked, it was 149 million plays of those songs in 15 years, as opposed to almost eight in 50 years. Mm. It's a totally different order of magnitude. So that's that's a great thing. The bad thing is they pay about a thousand <laughs> what a radio station would play, would pay. I mean, 
So the royalties are cut way down, and uh, that's a that's a subject of debate and negotiation between uh, the publishing companies, the writers, and the uh, streaming and the record companies, and the streaming services. Uh, there was a a law passed a couple of years ago called the uh, Music Modernization Act that uh, sets up a, a way of calculating this at a higher rate and a conduit for the money to be paid. It's not quite set up yet. I know a couple of the guys that are on the committee that's doing that. Uh, they happen to be there because they're executives in big publishing companies. So we'll see what happens. But you're right. You know, I remember when people said, cassettes, people can record the album and give it to their friends. It's going to kill sales of vinyl. And then it was, oh, my God, CDs. That's like a digital copy is exactly the same as the first digital copy. There's no generation loss. This is going to really kill, you know, record sales and CD sales. And then it was, uh, then it was downloads, and it was Napster, and then it was streaming. There's always, you know, change. Change is a constant, you know, in life. So um, we have to figure out how to adapt, and some people do that better than others. Do you think that it um, inhibits the ability of? That, that streaming inhibits the ability to discover what would be known as B-tracks from an artist, that people are more hit-driven as opposed to, you know, hearing hearing five or five yeah. or six songs from John Hall. I'm going to turn off my dehumidifier, which is making background. Oh, sure. So, um, yeah, I used to always, like, when I was a kid, I would buy a single for the Beatles or whoever, and look at the B-side, or play the B-side. And sometimes the B-side was more interesting than the A-side. Um, and it was a little extra incentive because you got one more song with the first song. Maybe I should have put a B-side out with World on Fire. Um, I have I have a number of them that I could put on. I have all, basically a full album ready to go. Um, and um, But yeah, that's, that's important to keep... Um, in my opinion, opinion, to keep a stream of new music coming, yeah. to stay relevant. Well, it's funny that you and I use the word album. You know, yeah. I, like you say, that's that's kind of an outdated, uh, it's an outdated word these days. I mean, I don't know what kids refer to. Um, you know, they don't say, oh, a new album from uh, Beyonce. They'll say she's dropping new tunes. You know what I mean? Right, or a new record. I hear new people record. use record. the word record. Yeah. It is a record of the proceedings. You know, it's a, it's a statement, a snapshot in time, a statement about what that artist is doing at that time. And um, so I like record, too. All right. So uh, before we go, I wanted to ask your opinion about something that happened this weekend since you and I spoke, and that was the un unfortunate passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Right. Have you had any thoughts politically about how that's going to impact the Supreme Court? I don't Court? know. People are saying two different things. I think that Many people, from what I've heard and seen polling at any rate, uh, many people think that Republican senators who said they would not confirm uh, President Obama's selection, Merrick Garland, because it was an election year, when it was 10 months before the election, right. that both senators should apply their own same standard to this, where it's less than two months before the election, and, and not confirm an appointee right now. Or not this year at all. So, you know, if the people who said that before do what they said, uh, 
there won't be a new justice um, appointed and confirmed this year, but but who knows what will really happen. Um, it's a world on fire. With that, John, I'm going to say thank you very much for talking to me today. This has been a great interview. I hope you've had Thanks, fun. Thanks, Jody. I did. Thanks. And then next time I'll try to not talk and run on sentences. My mother would be ashamed of me. Oh, no, it's wonderful. I mean, you uh, we've had a great conversation. And good luck with World on Fire and all your new music coming out in the future. Thanks, Jody, so much. And uh, looking forward to the Barbon being open again. Aren't we all? Take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks again to John Hall and the Bardavon 1869 Opera House for supporting our Backstage with the Bardavon podcast. Backstage with the Bardavon is produced by Patrick Watson and Jody Melman. Sound engineering and recording is by Ben Harris. If you're enjoying this podcast, please review it on iTunes. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Backstage with the Bardavon. Thanks again for listening and see you next time Backstage with the Bardavon.